0: Uh, ...have had a glitch and we just went ahead for three minutes uh, with Mr. Clayton here, uh, but we have backed uh, the video up back to where we think it was stopped. So I apologize for that and we'll move forward.
1: A scientist giving a lecture on astronomy and the suspension of the Earth in space and uh, as he finished his lecture, this lady came up to him and she said, well, sir, that's all wrong. The Earth is sitting on the back of a giant turtle. And and this woman was very steeped in the culture and the tradition in which she was working. And and the scientist said, well, that's that's fine, but what is the turtle standing on? And she said, well, that turtle's standing on the back of another turtle. And the scientist said, well, what's that turtle standing on? And she said, doctor, it's no use. It's turtles all the way down. (laughs) And it's important to understand that when you have a cultural identity, this is what you've been raised, this is what you've been taught, They certainly are going to defend that position. And and I understand that can be applied to the Bible. It can be applied to whatever somebody believes. My question is the evidence. When you look at Japanese traditions, you see the earth on the back of a giant catfish. Is that consistent with the culture in which they lived? Of course it is. The catfish was a very fundamental part of their lifestyle. And one of the major troubles in Japan, as we have all learned in recent years, is tsunamis. And the tsunami is easily explainable with this model. If the catfish goes underwater, you're going to have a tsunami. The Greeks had the earth on the shoulders of a guy who's now selling tires for a living. Of course, I'm talking about Atlas. And this this was a very intelligent culture. And you can say, well, those things are symbolic. I understand that. But they're based upon the understandings of the people of the time. And in the biblical record, you do not see this. Even in poetic passages like Job you see statements like he hangeth the earth upon nothing? Nowhere in the biblical record is there an indication of physical support for the earth. In astronomy there are multiple explanations that are very much the same type of thing. And I want to emphasize something here. Please do not misunderstand. I am not suggesting to you that the Bible writer sat down and said, now let's see here, I want to reveal some science. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, That when there is a statement that can be tested scientifically in the Bible, it always turns out to be true. Let me take an example to try and get you to see what I'm saying. Let's look for a minute at Luke 17. Now, I'm not going to worry you right now with the theological event that's described here. What I want you to notice is the way it's stated. The passage is talking about a global event. And the writer says in verse 31, In that day... Okay, so this is a daytime event. To make sure we understand that, he goes on and describes daytime activities. People are in the field. That you don't have John Deere tractors with lights. So this is a daytime activity. The event is going to occur in the daytime. All right, that's easy. But then over in verse 34, he tells you the same event is going to occur at nighttime. I tell you, at night, and to make sure we understand, there are people in bed, that's a nighttime activity ordinarily, so we have a nighttime activity. And then the very next verse shifts back to daytime activities. What did the origin of this particular account have to understand about daytime and nighttime for these statements to be anything other than self-contradictory idiocy? He had to understand that daytime and nighttime occur at the same time. Now you say, well, Eratosthenes knew that in 900 B.C. Well, Eratosthenes knew that. He knew the earth was round But when he tried to state it, they kicked him out of Athens. This was not common knowledge at the time. In the field of medicine, there are multiple statements that were beyond the time in which they were written, and statements that medically, if you look at them today, would make sense. They would fit. When you look at other ancient medical statements, you see things that simply don't fit. The Papyrus Iberus, which was an Egyptian medical journal, had all kinds of things that were highly destructive. Washing your hair in the blood of a black calf would avoid it turning gray. That is something some of us might have had an interest in had we lived at that time. If you had a splinter, you could take the blood of a worm and squeeze it on the splinter and it would make the splinter come out. Writing's very different, very, very dangerous. In the physical sciences, you have all kinds of statements that, again, are testable. And I just have a partial list here. Things that today we can look at and we can say, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. That's the way that works. I have a, 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 an offer for you here. We have an appendix that gives a list of these things. And it's available to you. You can go on our website and in the correspondence course section, you can go to appendix A. And you can print that out if you would like, or you can simply study it. Or if you're interested, you can send us a note by email or regular mail, and we'll mail you a copy of this. What it has is a list of statements in the Bible that are scientifically accurate. Now, also in the auxiliary appendix that comes with this, there are comparisons to other documents. Someone who is a Muslim might be able to go through and try to explain to you some of these, what are, I think, pretty clearly obvious scientific mistakes. But I encourage you to look at it. Read it for yourself without prejudice and see what you think. We also have a sheet in this list that goes through the Book of Mormon. And if I might jab my Mormon friends here a little bit, one of the ones that I think is particularly interesting is 2 Nephi 13.24, where we're told that baldness is caused by sin. Uh, Well, I might have some difficulty with that. On the other hand, you might say, oh, I, I knew that was the problem. The point is, there is a radical difference. And I have just dealt with the physical sciences here, but I think on the social sciences the same thing is involved. Compare the teachings of Jesus about what to do when you've been wronged with the teachings of the Koran, for example. What makes more sense? What is better psychologically? The concept of forgiveness. The concept of returning good for evil. How much does that work in the lives of human beings? You know, one of the interesting statements in the Bible is the fact that in Colossians, the second chapter, we're told that Jesus nailed the ordinances of the Old Testament to his cross. When well, Jesus dealt with the Samaritan woman at the well, and they had this discussion about where should we go to worship, Do we have to go to Jerusalem to worship? Can we worship up here in these mountains? Jesus says the time is coming when men everywhere will worship in spirit and in truth, not in Jerusalem or the mountains. I think most of us are familiar with the Islamic tradition of going to Mecca. I think many of us are familiar with the pilgrimages that have been a part of many denominations and perhaps even the Catholic Church. But in the concept of the New Testament, the relationship between man and God is so radically different than all other religious systems upon the earth. And I suggest to you that that is a design characteristic. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be also. We don't have to go to any particular geographic location. There is no need for us to have huge edifices, huge structures, huge buildings. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself, as I'm saying that, well, yeah, but you've got all those cathedrals, you've got the Vatican, you've got all these. I'm talking about what the Bible actually presents. Not what has been done by mankind in man's attempts to please God. And I would not impugn the motives of anyone who has built a cathedral or a huge cross or some other method, some other vehicle which aids them in worship. But the fact of the matter is that one of the fundamental differences between Christianity and other religious systems is that in the Bible there is a complete freedom from structures and things that could be used as symbols or objects. As a matter of fact, the Bible speaks very, very thoroughly about fleeing from idolatry, about not allowing things to become a part of your picture and what you do in worship. So as we talk about God's design and we talk about the evidence of the inspiration of the Bible, I want to come back to something we said at the very outset of this discussion in the previous video lesson. We're talking about what the Bible actually says, what we're actually taught. We're not talking about talking about what organized religion does. And I want to emphasize, especially to those of you who are atheists, I'm not here to defend organized religion. I don't think it can be defended. What I'm talking about is the evidence for the existence of God and the credibility of what the Bible actually teaches. So our relationship to God, according to the Bible, is one where there is no respect of persons. In Galatians and Ephesians we're told there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, we are all equal in God's sight, we are all children of God. I've already made reference to the fact that jesus said that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name there he would be also we don't have to have structures we can worship in a cornfield in a tent in history they worshiped in catacombs they worshiped in fields some years ago we took a trip down the grand canyon which is a part of our training program we have had canyon land trips for many many years we ended up in the Colorado River down near Lava Falls on a Sunday morning and a worship on a sandbar in the middle of the Colorado River. It's an experience I'll never forget. We had a man with us named Truett Adair who was a preacher and he gave us a little sermon as we sat on the sandbar in the Colorado River at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. He said, what you're experiencing right now is probably what the First century Church was most like. And i've thought about that many times out in the open air looking at god's beautiful creation being together with brothers and sisters in christ that you care about and that you share things with not focused or not having spent money on a building not having to worry about maintaining a building not having a huge edifice to deal with to focus on to substitute for worship of god That was a meaningful experience and as we have looked at evidences of inspiration I want to to close this particular session by saying to you I'm very want to emphasize very very strongly to you we're talking about what the Bible actually says not what tradition has said not what men have done many of those things could be very good could be very right but the point is it is what the Bible actually says we're talking about and in the next session what I would like to talk about is what I call system design what does the Bible actually lead us to? And I hope you continue with us in this discussion.
0: Various, very interesting uh, points there, as uh, he usually uh, presents. And, uh, before we get into some of the other things that he talked about, I want to uh, mention something that he just alludes to briefly at the beginning. Um there's the religious world. Those people, those cultures, those nations that that believe that uh having a religion, a belief in something, maybe something higher than themselves, uh, is important and necessary. And that non belief has, has consequences. There are uh ones that he has uh, mentioned and we'll talk more about uh, next week, um, focusing in on uh, Hindu, uh, Buddhism, uh, the Koran, um, and then that broader realm that is, is loosely referred to uh, as generally referred to as Christianity. Within Christianity, uh, you have uh, two major breakdowns. Uh, there's Catholicism and Protestantism. We don't need to go ahead and talk about how those evolved or emerged, um, but that those are generally uh noted. Catholicism pretty much stands uh by itself. Protestantism is broken into uh numerous um what have been called denominations. They have names that mm, that emphasize maybe some aspect of their teaching or some way to distinguish uh, that particular group from another Protestant group. You have um, the Church of Christ. And even within the Church of Christ, you have some differences of, of opinion going back to those denominations. Like I said, some emphasize the teaching, but there are differences in the way they approach what they, they feel the Bible says. Even within the body, the Church of Christ, uh, we have uh, those who are... Uh, adopt a, a, an extremely uh, stern approach to uh, interpretation of the Scriptures and others that are a little bit more uh, free um, to assign meaning to passages. And even within the body of Christ, Those individuals who are extremely tight and and conservative, as you might say, are called antis. They're labeled because they are anti, they are against a lot of the things that some of the other um, congregations uh, within the Brotherhood might do. My point in in, in saying this is that um, not everybody agrees. It is, it is difficult uh, trying to convince someone and it ought to be straightforward, it ought to be simple. Just read the Bible and do what it says. Even that um, can, uh, can cause considerable differences on, on things, but reading the Bible, doing what it says ought, ought to be clear. What happens in the world when we start using the Bible as the standard for religion as a whole, as the standard for why we believe in God, why we believe what we believe, and how our version or our interpretation of what the Bible says is sometimes in contrast, many times in contrast to their interpretation of it or at least something that they might have added um, to the scripture that better uh, accommodates their feeling about what religion um, and worship for God uh, ought to be. So, even within the religious world, there are individuals who label others as intolerant, as unfeeling, because we aren't uh, open enough to accept their practices because all roads lead to heaven. Well, only if those roads conform to what the Bible says. Intolerance. And when when uh, John uh, Clayton starts his video there a while ago, he says, uh, I, we don't bring up these differences between Christianity and these other religions to to uh, simply to point out their error, simply to make them look foolish uh, in some way. We're showing that there is a difference between what the Bible says and how reliable the Bible is compared to what their religion says and the initiators of their religions um, say about religion and Pathway to uh, paradise, or or whatever we want to call it. And he makes a very good point. Intolerance is not simply pointing out differences, intolerance is not um, using one standard against another, intolerance is, is not allowing the other to exist freely that's intolerance. When you try to prevent others from believing what they want to believe and doing what they want to do in the name of religion, um, that's intolerance. When you try to force your beliefs on others, then you're being intolerant of those people and, and, and their beliefs. And I don't know too many Christians that are going to force their belief on other people. We have, uh, and I'm, I think uh, next week we might talk about this, the notion that the spread of Islam was um, was militaristic, was aggressive, was extremely physical and violent. And if you did not convert, you were slain by the sword. sword was thrown... Uh, They still do that over in the Middle East, those who preach uh, jihad. We've seen the things on TV, down by the beach, the Danny Pearls of the world, and, and they still are doing that in order to convince the infidel to convert and to accept their way of life. They are willing to aggressively go after them, and that is the epitome of intolerance. We see intolerance in our society uh, today, in, in many, many ways. Um, we have a group of individuals who might believe one way of a political world view, call it conservative, the other side, call it loosely liberal, the right, the left, whatever, what, whatever label you want to, to place there. And one group will have a demonstration and the other group might counter demonstrate across the street but they're not preventing that first group from expressing their their political uh, beliefs and their support for various notions that are going on within the country. On the other hand, that other group, the initial group, might prevent that other group from demonstrating by either physically attacking them, yelling insults, or or whatever the situation. Both of them should be exhibiting tolerance for the other side. One side does and the other side doesn't. We see it on college campuses. Um, I was at uh, universities for a number of years and I read about uh, about how these things take place that Certain political persuasions are allowed to speak freely on campus. Even leaders from another country that say very, very evil things about us. I think the Ayatollah of Iran spoke at uh, Columbia one time, or, or someone like that spoke at some institution like that. I may be misquoting that situation. So, the, a, a great intolerance, a great tolerance for world religions political views that they that they not necessarily agree with but they think people you know we're we're open we and and we, we, we allow people to have forums uh, like this on our on our college campuses yet when a speaker is invited to a campus to speak from a different group of students on the campus that speaker is shouted down is not allowed to even get words out of their mouth they are have things thrown at them riots occur outside simply because the university is allowing that person with a, an opinion just as legitimate as anyone else's to speak on their campus those who are preaching tolerance over here are acting with intolerance over here on the other other side of the other situation so merely pointing out the differences between what you believe and what i believe is not intolerance a discussion about that is not intolerance evangelism is it's not ev- it's evangelism <laughs> is not intolerance What is important, and it should always come back to this, establish that the Word of God is the Word of God, and that can be done effectively. There are tools on the Does God Exist website and all over the place that will allow you to make a very convincing argument that this is indeed the Word of God. And he he alludes to this and does this in numerous ways, uh, even in, in today's lesson. Once you establish that, that it doesn't, as he said a couple of weeks ago, only contain the Word of God and some other stuff, but it is the Word of God. It is the inspired, God-breathed, Spirit-breathed will of God for mankind. So, once you establish that, then you can talk about what does it say? What does that mean for us in practice? How can we respond to what it tells us to do? And how can we live our lives in keeping with the principles and the guidelines and the philosophies and the recommendations and the commands of Jesus Christ? Did you want to say anything to follow up on that?
2: I think those thoughts are good. We, we hear a lot that we're the intolerant ones in reality, we're just teaching in what's correct. And, uh, and the opposing people who are normally in opposition to, to Christianity in general are the ones who are shouting us down and ironically being the ones who are intolerant.
0: A phobia, I think by definition, is an, an um, abject or a, an overreaction to something based on fear. It's an abnormal, that's what it is, an abnormal response of of fear towards something or or someone. The suffix phobe has been attached to um, Christians and to uh, those who would adopt a more conservative view of um, life and reality and things by sticking phobe on the end of numerous words. Any thing that you disagree with, you're that thing-phobe. A -a thing-a-phobe. Homosexuality. Forbidden in the Bible, from beginning to end, throughout. It is a sin. Anyone who says that, you're a homophobe. You have an abject fear, an irrational fear, of homosexuals. We don't fear them at all. All we're doing is trying to tell you what the Bible says about that. We have um, a growing practice now of allowing people to say that they are the opposite sex because they feel that they are the opposite sex. Transgender is, is the term. If you don't buy that, you have an abject fear of these people. They in some way threaten you, and so you are a transphobe. And it goes on and on and on. That's intolerance. We're just saying there's a difference of opinion and our opinion is based on what we find in the Bible. We're not phobic, we don't have an irrational uh, abnormal fear of these people they have changed the word phobia to mean you hate these people and we don't hate these people And the only other point I wanted to make on this was, was this, and Chris and I were talking just about, uh, about this just before we started here. Martin Luther King um, said a lot of wise things, and one of the things that he, he said was, the day that you don't stand up and speak against something that is not right, this, your soul begins to die. Now, whether or not those are the exact words, they convey the, the, the meaning there. I didn't go back and, and look up that meaning. When we are confronted with error, when we are confronted with people telling us this is reality and it's not reality, especially the reality that we find in the Scripture of God, and we fail to stand up against that and say, I don't think that's right. I know that's not right based on what I find here because it says in and if they'll let you finish, you need to have an answer. This was the last thing I was going to mention. We've got about 10 more minutes. 1 Peter 3.15 and I have, I have cited that passage more than one time in these lessons. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, always being ready to defend the hope that lies within you. First of all, he's speaking to Christians. Christians have a hope that is deep within them and it's a sincerely, deeply held conviction that there's going to be a payoff at some point. We give up things in this life for that payoff and that payoff is heaven. This life is not where that payoff is and it may not be a bed of roses. We're not promised that. But we are promised if we are found faithful, our name is written in the book, and we will have that. If we cannot go to the scriptures and explain, doesn't mean we have to convince them, but at least explain to them why we have that hope, what that hope is, and why we have it. second 2 Timothy two fifteen a command study study to show yourself approved rightly dividing or another version says rightly handling the word of truth. A lot of times you'll get into discussions with people and they'll say mm, that's an interesting concept I'll go back and talk to my preacher or my minister or some will call them uh, pastors. And uh, see what they have to say about that. I hope we never say that. I hope I may run something by Chris. I heard an interesting thing the other day. What do you think about that? But by golly I'm going to have my my version of a response to that even before I go to him. Um, Chris has spent more time studying the Bible in the last uh, 10 to 15 years than I've spent in the last 40 to 50. More than likely, he has dedicated his life to studying the Word of God and preaching, and I have probably fallen short in not devoting my life to studying the Word of God as much as I have. But I'm at a point in my life where I feel fairly confident that on most issues I can go to the Bible and tell you why I believe what I believe on that, and that it's backed up by some sort of scripture. If we have to rely on someone else, our preacher, our minister, our pastor, um, to give us the biblical answer, we haven't studied. We are not capable of defending the hope that lies within us. We are violating those passages. And i got a feeling God's not happy about that. That first passage, I told Chris this earlier. (laughs) I said, I think you can insert the word by in there and maybe not change the meaning of the passage. Mm -mm, Possibly. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts by always being able and ready to defend the hope that lies within you. Now, we can sanctify God in our hearts in other ways, that's at least one of the ways we do that. And it could be, and I haven't gone back and looked at the, the meaning of this passage, that that is what he's saying. This is how you sanctify God in your heart, by telling other people what what you believe and why you believe it and where it's found uh, in God's Word. Sermon's not over, but if you'd like to jump in there feel free.
2: So much of what we what we teach is an, an encouragement to get yourself into the book to, to to dive into it yourself. I can tell you what to think on Sunday mornings, but it doesn't resonate with you ever. You know, you can sit in the pew for 40 years and listen to someone say, here's what this text means, but until you get a hold of the text yourself and really dive into it, it never changes you. You know, you can hear somebody talk about it, but the transformation happens when you get into the text. And you struggle with with the meanings of that stuff and I'm, I'm more than happy I want to help you walk through uh, those those kinds of scenarios um, but I don't want you to rely on just what I say you know or any preacher or any guy you find on YouTube or anything like that you don't you you don't need to rely on an authority you need to rely on the authority uh, and be able to figure it out for for yourself
0: and that doesn't mean that you can't get helps absolutely He has a whole library of of helps here to help him get to the the point where he is. It could be that you need to sit down with somebody. If you have a particular issue that you're struggling with and don't know where to go uh, to look at it, Chris would be happy. I would be happy. We would both be more than happy to just let us know, and we will go anywhere, anytime, and sit down with you and talk to you about the Word of God. Everybody ought to want to do that and ought to be able to do that. He mentions uh, Clayton mentioned some things about characteristics about the Bible, and we only have a a, a few more minutes here. And in fact, we may have used up the, our our or shutting off probably changed that. Yeah, he did. okay. All right. Uh, he talked about uh, the Bible with its clarity. He talked about it a few weeks ago with that fog index. Very extremely uh, clear presentation. Um it's brief it's to the point. some of the most important parts of the Bible are carried uh are, are, are delivered in a very few spaces. What does that say? It's so important we don't need to elaborate on it. maybe that's what the point is it, it we're saying what needs to be said <coughs> straightforward and it's without uh without qualification or clarification it's there. Um, Matthew goes, gives you the lineage of Christ. Luke gives the lineage of Christ. Uh, uh, Mark starts his gospel a little bit different. John starts his entirely different. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God sent that Word to this earth, and man rejected Him. Well, What about all that other stuff? That's not important. Those old guys over there did that. My job is to show you the deity of Christ and to illustrate that deity through only seven mm-hmm. seven miracles in the book of John and to show you, as he pointed out there, many other things he did. The whole world could not contain the things that he did. We only get a glimpse. We tend to think, oh, well, that's all Christ did. No! <laughs> the whole world couldn't contain all the things that he did. But what has been written has been written so that we might believe. And that's all that needs to be said. That's all that need to be done. We don't need to add to this. We don't need to pick and choose and take away from this. This is what God wants us to know about Him and His love for us and what He sent His Son to do. Um, uh, he mentioned this this notion of, of um, wherever two or three are gathered in my name. We don't need large edifices. We don't need buildings or structures. Christianity is... A one to one relationship with God and a small group relationship with God as a congregation or as a Bible study group or whatever. The other um, religions make man responsible for trying to reach up to God. There are requirements that man has to do, but look what God has done. God has made it easy for us to believe in Him. He's given us His word. He sent His only begotten Son to this earth to suffer and die for our sins. We can go to Him in prayer one-on-one and speak with the God of this universe because Jesus has broken down that barrier for us through the sacrifice on the cross. I don't see that in other religions. Clayton doesn't see that in other religions, and he knows a lot more about them than I do. Um, next week, um, he will go into more discussion about these systems and about how they contrast with them. I would encourage you to, uh, to go and, and check out these uh, Appendix A and Appendix B uh, on the website. It's under Online Courses on the opening uh, webpage there. And just look at some of the teachings um, of the Bible compared to what the commonly understood uh, truth was. Truth was at that time. The Bible, every time we discover something in this world, about this world, it confirms God's word even more and more. We realize, the more we discover, we realize how little we know about this world. But we discover how much more and how much surer God's Word is that He created this because every new discovery supports something that has been said in the Bible. Not one-to-one, but it doesn't conflict with anything that's found in the Bible. And truth was presented as truth. Science just emerges on the side. Wasn't their intent, as he said, to give us a scientific... Uh, background or a scientific textbook but any science that emerges hasn't yet to be refuted we are out of time we will uh, continue next week and uh, next week is going to be a taped version because it is uh, thanksgiving week and chris will be out of town so we've already taped that and it's ready to go we'll see you next week on tape and we'll see you in two weeks in person see you guys bye